Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Cane and Rince interview special. With me today, we have the author of the forthcoming book, The 100 Best Video Games, Wait For It, That Never Existed. It's Nate Crowley. Welcome to Cane and Rince, Nate. Hi, Leon. Hello. So, there's a story behind all this. Well, first of all, uh, both for the sake of our listeners' interest and uh, and um, what's that word they use a lot these days? Transparency. Uh, so yes. you and I are talking together today. Uh, we were hooked up by an old friend of the show, Sinan Kuba, who works uh, nowadays uh, at Rebellion, the vintage, um, you know, much storied, uh, fantastic British uh, publisher of games normally, but they also have a uh, a book publishing arm. Um, so uh, that's how that's how we're speaking. But um, I suppose we should take it back to the beginning. And like so many things uh, in in this strange modern world in which we live, uh, in which we live in, according to Paul McCartney, um, <laughs> it started with a tweet. Never thought it would come to this. And so so it was back on December the 5th of last year. Um, yeah. what, was your mind just idling or uh, were you bored or was this something that had been bursting to get out? Tell us, tell us how this, uh, this journey started. Uh, yeah, so um, in fact, pretty much my whole writing career seems to have happened uh, as a result of tweets I've done while in a, a sense of vague, distracted mania. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, I think I was definitely meant to be doing something else. Uh, and I couldn't concentrate. Um, and everyone was doing those tweets. You know those tweets where it's like one like equals one thing I think about witches, and then they'll put a list of witch facts depending yeah. on how many likes they get. I saw those and I thought, okay, then uh, why not one like equals one fictional video game? Yeah. And um, yeah, it got loads. It got loads, and I didn't want to stop. So I kept on going till there were a thousand of them. Um, wow! And halfway along, um, it started. It started taking up quite a lot of time because I was determined to finish the list. In the end, actually, about a hundred and fifty people were kind enough to unlike the original tweets. So I could end on a neat thousand, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Um, so th- those are the real heroes of the story. Um, but yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, it ended up becoming this sort of uh, fundraising thing. Mm. Um, ZSL, who are the charity that runs London Zoo, do loads of really good amphibian conservation work, which often gets overlooked. Um, yeah. And because like my name was Frog Croakley on Twitter, yeah. um, obviously I've got a bit of an affinity with frogs, so... Uh, it became a thing where, like, for every around uh, about game two hundred and something, I said, "Okay, I'll only do subsequent games for each five pounds we raise for ZSL." We made a couple of grand for them that way. Nice. In the end, it got a bit slow, so I just carried on anyway and raced to the finish. But yeah, it became a bit of a a bit of a monolith, and there were yeah uh, one thousand fictional games by the end of it. Amazing. So. Uh, I was going to ask about your relationship with amphibians, if it's not too uh, pertin- impertinent of me. Um, was that was the relationship with amphibians first, and then you called yourself Frog Croakley, or was it that you named yourself punningly Frog Croakley, and then you kind of got into amphibians? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a chicken and egg, isn't it? No, I, I've always thought frogs are pretty great, actually. Amphibians yeah, yeah. 
Blackmore. And now, of course, what with um, what with the claiming of, of the image of a frog as a hate symbol by of by course. many people far oh, right, I think there's something to reclaim there. So I'm uh, I, I like to think I'm doing my part to um, to take back frogs as, as a symbol of everything that's small and and, and weird and moist. Um, I'm well, I'm, I'm not very small or or moist, but um, anyway, you get the point. But you're on uh, the right side of things. I mean, on the left yeah. side. Of, yeah. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And and do you, do you know what? Like, genuinely, I say this without tongue in cheek. One of the most important figures in my life has been Kermit the Frog before Jim Henson died, mainly because Jim Henson was, I think, probably the world's most wonderful human being. And um, and Kermit the Frog should, you know, obviously it's that other that other ugly frog which has has taken on meaning for for causes which with which i do not agree but kermit stood for everything on the other side of that and you know he should be he should be the frog that goes forward in my opinion kermit was the absolute boy agreed um yeah and there's there's lots there's there's lots of good frogs um you know i wouldn't class myself as one of the greats but as you say yeah hoping to put myself on the right side of frog history there and proudly continuing uh, with that pseudonym, definitely good stuff. Because um, yeah, I should say when when I first got the email from Sinan and uh, about talking to you, uh, you weren't copied in at first because it was just a you know would you be interested kind of thing. And he titled the email Frog Croakley, and then I saw your name, Nate Crowley, and I was like, is this this? And then I was starting to think, hang on, because Nate's going to end up on this email thread as you did and i didn't know about your your twitter history so i was thinking is this just sinan bit making <laughs> making a joke is this going to go down really <laughs> badly when he sees that uh his pr has been uh taking taking the mick out of his name but no it was fine and we also had uh uh the uh misunderstanding we were both assuming that we would have to work around one another's time zones uh oh, yeah. we spent we- a week Assuming each other were American, that was yeah. great. <laughs> we, we we are now working around each other's time zones. I think you're about fifty miles away from me, uh, so yeah. <laughs> that all worked out nicely. Uh, so when you tweeted out this tweet innocuously, um, how many sort of Twitter followers did you have at the time, roughly, and what sort of a response were you expecting? Were you expecting to do like three, ten, five, fifty, maybe? Yeah, I, I think I had um, sort of three thousand or so followers and i thought you know going by the law of averages i'd maybe get like you know usually get one percent of people see anything when you tweet it they say right um so i could handle sort of 50 odds that would be a good thing to do for a couple of days um but yeah of course the sort of sadism sets in with people when (laughs) you know when you get 50 in you start getting the retweets saying retweet this so he has to do it forever um, like just people you don't know who just like want to to put you in this sort of Sisyphean nightmare where you're forever pushing a digital boulder up a hill. Um, and it was it was thanks to them that it um, it sort of spread a bit. But that was good, because like I say, when we were doing the fundraising thing, that meant more people were doing that as well. So I didn't mind. Yeah. So when you came up with idea number one, this was uh, three minutes after the first uh, after your initial tweet, uh, you'd had a like. So. Uh, your first idea, Regency Ogre Jewels, Lumbering Brutes in Powdered Wigs, Face Off with Flintlocks. Uh, irritating formal dancing minigames ruin the fun. Um, when you obviously you started 
quite you know off kilter there with with this concept were you worried you know maybe you, you could have started with something less uh you know uh, esoteric and and worked your way up but actually you've started with a game there that you know it's a concept that i honestly don't think had ever been come up with for a video game before i thought it was fairly ordinary to be honest with you it's just something yeah. you always wanted to play right well yeah um it I'll tell you how that one came into my head, actually. Uh, I had done, I'd done a talk last year with a lady who writes the text for like um, a Regency-themed card game. All right. And I was talking to her about that and thinking, oh, I'd never really, you know, that, that's probably not the setting I'd choose for a game. Uh, but it's actually really interesting. That's, you know, and it's really popular as well. So obviously that gels with a lot of people. And I thought, well, what if you put ogres in it? Because that's always a good modifier to apply to anything, really. Just chuck in some ogres. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's if you think about it, it's a nice thematic juxtaposition. Because uh, you've got, you know, you could have all the atmosphere in the game, sort of, you know, candlelit, gilded ballrooms. Yeah. Um, you know, sullen local vicars and brooding as waiting to dance with with debutantes but then massive ogres uh with guns uh who don't each care other, yeah. yeah yeah just fighting through the middle of it all Hitting each be other a- with gloves yeah exactly exactly they've sort of got the you know uh the set dressing of the period but they don't care at all for the manners they are ogres so yeah yeah that was i, I thought that was a fairly reasonable place to begin Absolutely. So obviously you've already uh, there fleshed out the idea somewhat. And uh, and I assume that Regency Ogre Jewels is one of the uh, the, the edited reduced amount that, that are going to feature in a book. Um, and so is the format of the book going to expand upon the 140 characters of the original? Yeah, text? massively. Yeah. So um, the book was a bit of a behemoth to write, actually. Um, it's so you've got the hundred games, and for each one of those games, I've done sort of a sort of four hundred words ish retrospective, sort of talking about its place in the history of gaming, what it was like to play, oh, cool. uh, sometimes some of the scandals that afflicted the developers, and then some sort of review information, you know, with some of the pros and cons, and uh, it says what system it came on, things like that, and then of course the. What really makes the book fun, as you said, uh, Reb- Rebellion uh, do games and publishing. So they were kind of perfect for this because yeah. the publishing team put the book together. But I got access to Rebellion's entire art department to work on these games with me. It was a terrible power to wield, really. <laughs> yeah, um, You can make professional games concept artists you know, make box art and screenshots from these execrable ideas uh, at a whim, you know, and and who wouldn't take that power? So, yeah, each page is like a double spread, sort of talking about the game on the left and then like with an image either of the box or a screenshot from in-game on the right. And there's also um, like a bunch of feature articles, like talking about the history of particular genres, like fictional racing games or fictional beat-em-ups. Oh, superb. I can only assume... Uh, that you couldn't possibly be doing all this without being a, a video games fan yourself. This level of uh, knowledge and, and ability to satirise and whatever else. This must come from a place of uh, of love. Yeah, I, I, 
I like games an awful lot. I've played them all my life. Uh, I've missed out on a lot of the big franchises. I sometimes feel a bit of a charlatan because I've, I've never played a Zelda game. Oh, I feel the need to blurt that out now. Uh, now. <laughs> yeah, that's that. The Pandora's box is opened. Um, but yeah, apart from my sort of weird omissions of some of the classics, yeah, yeah. I've played played quite a few over the years and um, was you know I was a massive Mega Drive kid. Um, when I was sort of 11, 12, and it stuck with me. So uh, there are some box art mock-ups on uh, the BuzzFeed news article uh, about... Uh, well, there's been a couple of articles. Um, uh, so are these, are these uh, mock-ups for the book, or were they done by BuzzFeed? Because Regency Ogre Jewels has a particularly fine Mega Drive uh, star cover, I noticed. Yeah, amazing. No, they, uh, that was BuzzFeed did them. It so Regency right. Ogre Jewels, for a game that never existed, yep. has now been artistically interpreted twice yes. by two professionals at different businesses, which makes me really happy. Um, but yeah, those articles were just, the BuzzFeed just did them for fun. Um, so the book ones are, are, are saying different entirely. In fact, they, they've made, because the book goes from like 1980 through to the present day. And I think Regency Ogre Duels, I can't remember what platform we put it on, but it was sort of like early 2000s. Oh, okay. Okay. And oh. they, yeah, they'd, they'd given it a different time period entirely. That's fantastic. And uh, yes, yeah, so uh, people should check it out. If you uh, do a, a little search on BuzzFeed, you'll find uh, Astro Hound Bombardier for the NES. Uh, yeah. Kick City we for put- the Atari 2600. The, there was. I'm just thinking. Actually, there are some Mega Drive games in the uh, in the book. Oh, uh, there's 1950s Beach Bastards, um, where you know, like those uh, Charles Atlas pamphlets from like America in the 60s, mm. or 50s, where like you know, you're a wimp, tired of getting sand kicked in your face. Yes. Well, become a man in just six weeks. So this game is about the antagonist in those pamphlets, the man who kicks sand into the faces of wimps and you sort of it's like a top-down 16-bit game where you just sort of run across an endless beach booting across uh, apart sandcastles and um the anti-minecraft yeah yeah it's you know it's it's a game about a bad man and then there's um there's beast enders um yes uh, which is i love the artwork for it's got it's like this photorealistic painting of um Phil Mitchell smashing apart an alien's head with a claw hammer. Um, and the premise is that an alien bioweapons carrier has smash landed in the fictional London borough of Walford. And mm. it's up to Phil and his brother Grant to, to clear out the, uh, to clear out Albert square. Is it Albert square they live yes. in? Yes. It's only a matter of time before the BBC uh, screenwriters hit upon that, especially as famously uh, the, the, the mighty uh, Mr. Biffo, Paul Rose famously wrote uh, an episode of EastEnders uh, some years ago now. Um, I'm surprised he didn't he didn't go down that path himself. Um, how does it work with some of the where, where you're touching upon um, existing real life IPs, whether they be game or other media? Is that all uh, come under satire and fair use or did you have to get clearance for anything for the book? I hope it comes under satire and fair use. Um, yeah, that was um uh, that personally a source of anxiety for me like mm. when rebellion signed on to do it i was initially like well surely we shouldn't mention anything that's real mm. um, and they they actually obviously you know they're a big publisher they are one of the things rebellion does really well as a business 
is they know IP really well and they know what they can and can't do. So it's pretty secure from that front. We did have to drop one, which I'm really hacked off about. It was Alan Partridge's Monkey Tennis. Uh, Uh, Of course. And so if you've seen the show, um, yeah, the scene where he pitches Monkey Tennis to the BBC. Uh, And so in this alternative reality of mine, I had it that, you know, the BBC wouldn't take it. Uh, but a massive sports games publisher uh, with a two-letter name did yeah. <laughs> um, and produced this incredible primate sports simulation voiced God. with the commentary provided by Alan Partridge. But that Day one purchase, pre-order. I know, it, it would have been legendary. And the, the, the image for it was great as well. But because Alan Partridge is already a fictional character... Um, we can use that. If we wanted to make it about an actual BBC property, we could mm. probably do it. But we couldn't use Partridge, so I was I was devastated. Oh. So you could have just made, without the Partridge name, you could have made Youth Hosteling with Chris Eubank. Easily, yeah. That would, <laughs> that would have been pretty amazing, actually. Although, isn't that an actual TV show now? Wasn't there something really like it that came out last yeah. year? Basically, anything that uh, Armando Iannucci and, and all those guys came up with in the 90s or 2000s has now happened for real. So, yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem with, I know uh, I'm, I'm no uh, comedian or satirist myself, but listening to and talking to those who uh, work in that field, uh, life has never been harder in a way because because of the absurdity of, of modern existence. Well, um, yeah, Nathan yeah. Barley was the, the absolute... Totally prophecy wasn't it i mean i i can't there was an article about it in the guardian wasn't there but it's hard to believe something could so accurately predict um the garbage culture of the last couple of years you know from 10 years out amazing absolutely amazing yeah prescient uh, so I want to ask you, uh, so this is now 6.37pm uh, on, on night one and you're only uh, three games in of, of ultimately what would be a thousand. Um, uh, as somebody who I always need to go back, Kane and Rince, we're very thorough uh, and we, we have a very historical perspective on the industry. So I couldn't play Wasp Getter 6 without playing Wasp Getters 1 to 5. It wouldn't it wouldn't satisfy me. So even if even if you told me that Wasp Getter Six is the best, you know, the best Wasp Getter yet, uh, with its perfectly modelled wasps and immensely immensely satisfying getting mechanics, I would still need to go back and see if the if the the story and and also how the mechanics had evolved over the previous uh, five Wasp Getter games. So uh, could, perhaps you could tell us about that that lineage, that storied uh, series of games. Yeah, I think it's um it's. I would invite you to think of it more as a Final Fantasy sort of thing where, you know, each of the games doesn't necessarily narratively progress the last one. They're more, you know, they're each a new cutting edge um, interpretation, you know, of the entire sphere of getting wasps. Um, You know, so, yeah, the original wasp getter was was kind of clunky and it was, it was you could probably see it as a bit more of a you know, classic FPS really but the later games they just brought in so many sort of sandbox and narrative elements um they yeah but you know by the time you're playing wasp get a six um the format of the game is unrecognizable from the original oh, but okay. aficionados would say the atmosphere is still very much there and um yeah, I mean, even the, the very mechanic of getting wasps varies from game to game, but I think it reached its peak in six anyway. 
Yeah, but the fans will always hark back to four, won't they? There'll always be a core group of people who say that Wasp Getter 4 was where the series peaked and that had the best characters and the best, you know, the best ending and all that sort of stuff. It was beautiful, but I mean, it was it was one for, for that was the one that attracted a lot of new people to the franchise. Yeah, yeah. so it's a bit lowest common denominator. It, <laughs> you know, if you for people who really loved the series, to be honest, it didn't have much replayability. It was sort of a pick it up, you know, say it's the best game ever for three days and then quietly not finish it sort of deal. <laughs> yeah. um, and then trade it. But, in. You know, I mean, we've got Wasp Getter Generations around the corner. I think that's out in October. Awesome. Um, only a month after the book launches, actually. So, um, you know, we could be chatting rubbish now. That may end up redefining the entire franchise. You never know. Oh, put me down for a review copy. Um, so when when you were uh, trying to come up with uh, basically a thousand pitches in the space, of, how, how long did how long did it take to go from one to the the last one, as it were? I think I finished. Um, yeah, a week before the end of February. So it was um, a couple of months. Oh, yeah, yeah, a couple of months, a couple of months. Were you struck with creative block at any point or did you tap into hitherto unrealised uh, mind potential? It did get a little bit of a struggle some days. If I can be a little bit personal for a second, mm. uh, I don't want to put a downer on things. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, my dad died in uh, mid-February and I... I went there to be with him and then I was uh, at my parents' house for like a week or so afterwards sorting things out. And honestly, like two days into that, not knowing what to do with myself, because um, he'd been really laughing at the games thread, even when he was oh. made. Like he didn't use Twitter, but he learned it so he could read these and we would chat about them every day. And it was, you know, we'd been having a good time on it right up till the end. And so like two days afterwards, I just thought, I'm just going to carry on with these because I've not got much else to do mm. uh, um, other than sort of work this all out. So I might as well. And it was really good, actually. That that saw me through to the uh, saw me through to the very end, actually. Oh, that's a really beautiful story. Uh, what a, a lovely way to, to honor uh, somebody who obviously you're going to miss deeply uh, with 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 humor and something. So, yeah, delightfully silly, really. Yeah, it's cool. Great. I've ended ended the book with um till bluto do us part which is uh an art game where you experience a series of vignettes of a couple's life and uh the animated nemesis of popeye bluto comes crashing through the scenery to ruin it each time (laughs) dad like um dad found that one impossibly funny so i've put that one as the last one in the book and um yeah, sorry, this is all unexpectedly sincere, but it was uh, it was a nice part of the the process of making it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. My my father also died very recently, um, but uh, yeah, probably didn't have such a good relationship with him. But uh, but I, I I feel feel where you're coming from. Well, welcome um, to the man. <laughs> yeah. Um, on a completely different tangent, then um, of all these ideas, whether it be all the thousand or um, the one hundred. Uh, that you've got the book down to, which is still a significant amount, I should say. Uh, how many of the ideas do you sincerely believe would actually make like solid, really good games, rather than you know fun, fun gags or, or or maybe a brief, brief interactive novelty of a game? Do you think do you think some of them have got the potential to be fleshed out genuinely into uh, into games that could be on the market and and do well? It's a really good question. Uh, I'm going to be arrogant and say, yeah, I reckon so. 
when I came to selecting the hundred for the book, um, because with all the feature articles and stuff in between the hundred, it probably mentions about two hundred and fifty overall, and they were the they were the funny ones basically. So I went to the list of a thousand, and I'm um, actually very kindly there had been. Um, an exhibition last year, the London Games Festival, had printed them all out and put them behind a museum vitrium thing. So they'd made a spreadsheet, very kindly, which I used, and I sorted it out between funny ones and ones that were too sincere to go in the book. And then looking at that list of sincere ones, I thought there's actually, there's easily more than a hundred here that I reckon would be actually good games. A lot of sci-fi ones, I'm a massive sci-fi fan. I write sci-fi books and I'm not doing this. Yeah. Um, and so there were loads of games I thought of with, you know, cause you just come, you know, if you, if you like sci-fi stuff, you come up with premises all the time. And, um, there were lots of cool ways to interpret those in games. So there's actually, yeah, there's a few I actually quite liked. Any in, uh, any th- in particular that you'd love to see get made? Uh, it's an obvious question, but if there was like just one of all these ideas that, that came flooding out is there one that you thought oh my god i so desperately want to play that game so the the game right it's called it's called nightmare uh but that's mayor spelt like the mayor of town all right it is so it's a game like um sim city or city skylines classic city builder right yes but it's um like the days take an hour and what you do you have one player who's playing the mayor and they play for an hour and build the city and sort of sort out crime and pollution and things like that and then they save the game yeah and the file is sent to another player who plays the nightmare and their job is to completely ruin the city um you know and set up all kinds of things that are going to go wrong for the day mayor um and you just you exchange the save file like this yeah yeah um, and then it sort of scores you after you've each had like 10 turns or whatever um but yeah it's it because the i love city builder games Mm. um but multiplayer is something they've always struggled to crack and i think this this could do it there'd be a sort of dungeon keeper element um you know uh it's it's a bit like an old school sort of legacy game um where people sort of send a save file around a group i think it could work so yeah that's my pitch for a real game is nightmare genius uh, i absolutely love it i really love um asynchronous multiplayer games where you send turns to other people going all the way back to email xcom uh, yeah, which, man. uh and then they did uh the uh laser uh the same the same guys julian gollop and the team did a um laser squad nemesis it was called and that was a, a similar a similar thing where you basically you send a turn to a player you know tactical uh top down kind of shooter thing then frozen synapse did it as well um and i think those those are such fun but i think um yeah your your nightmare idea not only does it have the fun of that it's also got that sort of that element of wickedness uh and you're tapping into both the the fun of creating which obviously people love with sims and sim city type games and minecraft but then you've also got that desire which only a few games tap into which is to be the bad guy um i would love well, to play it that. makes griefing part of the game yes it's it's one of the mechanics so yeah be interesting anyway so I love the sound of that. I was recently on a podcast, which is run by uh, some friends of ours. It's uh, 
Kane and Rince is a big team and uh, one of the team, Ryan, who still works on our music podcast and also edits the main show, uh, Ryan Heyman, he does a show with another guy called Ryan, also in America, Ryan Quintel. They've recently started their seven episodes into a podcast called Play Right, which is a show, a podcast, uh, about 45 minutes long, where they each, they take three pitches, one of one each of their own and one from the community, and they workshop them for 10 minutes each. Uh, and I was recently on that show, uh, and I uh, brought a game to it called Rhythm Action Rally. Um, so the, these are perhaps uh, slightly, you know, originally they come from a slightly less uh, humorous place in that, uh, not necessarily, but generally they were you know, sparks of ideas that you could, you know, take to a game jam. But actually, I think it would be a fantastic idea uh, for you to, uh, for you and them to hook up and go on that podcast. And actually, they could workshop some of your, uh, <laughs> some of the ideas from the book. Uh, oh, mate, I would love that. That'd be great fun. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will hook you up, as they say, and uh, see if they're they're keen on the idea. Uh, yeah, I was just on episode seven of that, so I'm getting my plug in here as well. And uh, you can hear all about Rhythm Action Rally, which is. Uh, I think is a game that also needs to get made as well as the others we cover in that show. <laughs> awesome. Tell me, tell me a little more about Rhythm Action Rally, just while my curiosity's peaked. Okay, so Rhythm Action Rally is a game where rather than... Uh, obviously, the idea is a bit more fleshed out now because we did 10 minutes of uh, blue sky thinking on it. Um, so uh, my initial pitch was uh, it's the game Thumper meets Sega Rally meets uh, Rhythm Tengoku, Rhythm Heaven. Uh, so it's basically it's a driving game, but where the uh, the controls are uh, are input based on the calls of your co-driver, which are quantized with the music. So ahead of each set of corners, chicanes, you know, as a rally course goes, your co-driver will be effectively wrapping the set of instructions and then you will be inputting the commands. Uh, we hadn't quite fully establish whether these will be analog or digital inputs um so there might be a certain element of analog input as you might have in dj hero or uh guitar man um but uh, equally there might be sort of qte elements so where a, a series of corners might be a, a button a sequence of buttons the idea being that as somebody who likes driving games racing games but isn't great at them but is uh, really loves rhythm action games and is quite good at them i could get the buzz of throwing a car really expertly round a round spectacular rally courses while not having to actually drive the car <laughs> but well, leon that's brilliant that's really good cheers I, yeah, I, I, I really i really hate games the world I, re I don't hate games that require coordination but i resent because <laughs> i have none and an alternative control mechanism like that, yeah, uh, that's that's good, man. I've got a lot of time for that. All you need is uh, all you need is a bit of rhythm. Um, and we were also talking about we in our workshop we came up with the idea of a companion app uh, or or a second screen if it was uh, if you were playing on a Wii U. Not that anyone's going to be doing that now, sadly. But um, you could have a companion app where the co-driver is actually a, a real life friend in the same room and so they have to they have to give you the instructions they've got a map effectively and you're reading out the you're you're like wrapping out the instructions to your friend and based on the rhythm with which you've spoken them and listening to the music that's how you get around the corner so there's a there's a fun co-op element too what it doesn't have though is uh, is the <laughs> is the um, is the the surreality and uh, and uh, sort of uh, yeah the humor of of your ideas so obviously you've already said that uh, you there are a thousand ideas. You've put a hundred into this book uh, and it was obviously already frustrating to have to cut it down. So if this one does well, 
volume two possible yeah no I'd, I'd love to actually i think um rebellion have been really good they've put put lots behind this one and um you know well obviously because it's my job but i hope it will um do all right this christmas um particularly but yeah if it if it's not a unmitigated commercial disaster i'd love to come back and do another one next year and that might who knows that might even be a time to look at some of the more sincere ones but there's certainly there's there's plenty of entertaining garbage left in the barrel and who knows i could even come up with some more ideas so yeah absolutely i was going to say like is is i mean you know our, our brains are amazing things and obviously you have a particularly a, a particularly creative one but do you think there is you know an almost unlimited barrel of concepts in there if you just keep keep that um that muscle working kind of thing well i guess the thing about games is they're um you know there's a huge amount of potential combinations if you've got sort of the era of the game and you know the genre um you know the tone of it the subject matter you know, um, if you roll the dice on each of those categories enough times, you get an you know, infinite combination, really. You know, that's why it's, um, I'd argue it's probably easier to come up with new games ideas than the new films for that reason, because there's so many more sort of axes for innovation, if you want to put it in yeah. a way that sounds like a nightmarish bit of business speak. But there you go. No, um, yeah, totally with you. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, touching upon a few of the other ideas that came through on Twitter, uh, one of which I thought sounded very familiar. Maybe it was a game you hadn't played. Maybe you had played it. Maybe you were d- directly satirizing it. Bastard Sword, number 51, a young woman on a quest for revenge in a fantasy world. But her sword is a complete and utter asshole. It never shuts up. Uh, you've just described the game Transistor by uh, by Supergiant <laughs> Games. <laughs> really? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Um, no, I mean that's that's slightly unfair on Transistor. It's really cool, uh, uh, but it is a young woman with a, a sword that never stops talking, basically. <laughs> well, there, there was a bit of the old like infinite monkeys on typewriters with this. Quite of course, a few I described a game, and someone would um, some would tweet back at me, "Yes, this game already exists," and link me to it. So there were particular days where I got really dismayed because, like, oh, this one is a really funny idea, only to have, like, 19 people link me to yeah. the actual game with the same name from, like, 1987. So, yeah, that happened more than a few times. Of course it will do. Yes, absolutely. I was listening to an interview with a comedian uh, yesterday, Rahul Kohli, uh, not the actor, but the comedian, who was saying he's yeah, he's had the thing before where he's been accused of, uh, you know, stealing jokes from Twitter. But, of course, when there are now that many people who are comedians, or think themselves comedians or ideas people there's just it's impossible not to uh, to become aware of people having the same ideas at the same time or and obviously without knowing the entire history of video games off the off the top of your head um of course you're going to come up with some some ideas which are at least uh, similar to to things which already exist so yeah we'll just put it under satire <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah uh, so uh, before we wrap up, how about you take us through some of the other uh, your favourites from from the uh, from the many many ideas that you came up with? Perhaps some of the ones that are going to be in the book that people will be able to uh, pick up for themselves later this year. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think some of my favourite ones to work on in the book. Um, probably the uh, the iconic one for me is Star Trek Beyond the Bridge. Um, which is one of those like mid nineties full motion video games, the, oh. the vaunted interactive movies where, um, 
they've just gotten a load of like footage from Star Trek The Next Generation and badly rotoscoped to be over it. Oh, uh, nice. And you play Picard trying to stop his crew completely losing their minds. Like, I don't know, you remember at school, like when a bee gets into the classroom <laughs> and everyone <laughs> enters this sort of paralyzed state of meta humanity, um, you know, where they're terrified of this bee. So, yeah, that happens on the Enterprise and you've got to, you've got to solve it through your uh, dignity and gravitas as Patrick Stewart. I wonder if that would be more fun than the, uh, the brand new virtual reality Star Trek bridge game. Or less fun. Or should we just put a B in the new one? Um, um, there could DLC. Be DLC B. Yeah. Baster egg. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that could happen. Uh, what other ones do I like? I really like uh, Hawks versus Voles online, uh, which is a really one-sided MMO. Um, <laughs> and then there was Quad Bike Sorcerer, a sorcerer on a quad bike. There really is nothing more to it, but I like that concept itself. Uh, 1990s Roth Soccer. Um, Would play. Which, which uh, yeah, modern football game, but entirely based on the aesthetic of Camden High Street in 1997. Kit Clash could be an issue. Yeah, that's true, actually. If everyone's in New Rocks and Black Vinyl, yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, what's a Goths Awake it? Oh, they're all in white. They're all in white. They'll look uh, like Ku Klux Klansmen. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's probably a bad Mind idea. Mind you, clans versus clan versus goth soccer also would pre-order. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone would play as the goths. Um, that would be pretty fun. That would be pretty fun. There was uh, workshopping right now. <laughs> oh yeah, there's another game I came up with. That I didn't put in the book. Sincere one, right? Um, championship mm. manager, mm. but for a company of mercenaries in 16th century Italy. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. would be sick. That would be really good. Uh, just a spreadsheet game about running a band of of cutthroats um, in a in in a near lawless medieval Renaissance state. Um, but yeah, that one isn't in the book. Um, there's Bin Crab Destiny, which yes. is a bit like Pokemon Go, mm. uh, but the only creature you can collect is this sort of loathsome crab that lurks in bins. Um, so I thought that would. You know, sort of suit the nihilistic zeitgeist really well. Just people augmented reality. So you're walking around like with Pokemon Go, and then if you hold up your phone to a bin, you might see a, a little, a little <coughs> skulky hermit crab type thing. Yeah, walking. this crab sitting miserably there, waiting to be collected. Um, <laughs> it doesn't protest or or resist no, in any way. Yeah, it just gives itself up. Um, you can make them fight, but they don't. They just look at each other sullenly. Um, actually, talking of augmented reality, another one uh, in the book that I really liked. Have you ever, um, when you were a kid, do you remember being in a car on the motorway and you'd look mm-hmm. out of the window uh, as you sped down the motorway? And did you ever, like, I'm going to sound really, really odd here if you didn't, mm. did you ever, like, use the motion of your eyes to imagine, like, a little man jumping along the cars and, like, running along the barrier in the middle of the motorway? No, absolutely, yeah, like, free running. Before free running was a... Before parkour, we even knew what it was. Like, yeah, yeah. and I, I wonder if it was partly inspired by by uh, early platform games and things like that, this sort of, yeah, the the idea of hopping between things and stuff. So, yeah, so you're you're going to project via a smartphone or whatever, a little dude onto the motorway. Yeah, I thought it'd be like a Google Glass thing or something. And you, it would need to, it's probably a bit futuristic, so it would need to read eye movement really well, but it would use 
the movement of your pupils to like bounce a little bloke um, uh, or, 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 or lady or or non-binary person down the middle of the road and collect yeah. coins and get upgrades and you know maybe get a grappling hook for lamp posts and stuff i thought it'd be really that would be really fun that's sort of funny and fun um but yeah um motorway sprinter i think could be could be a winner cool do you think uh, were there any ideas that uh, like how did did you spend um a while agonizing over each tweet did you edit and re-edit or was this like bang bang get them out there kind of thing i was literally just mental diarrhea really uh <laughs> like that, that i was just trying to get as many out as i could um and hoping that at least a few of them would be be readable are there any that you regret no i don't i was that's yeah i was really worried coming up with ideas that thick and fast I would like say something like stupidly and inadvertently racist or something, oh, God. or you know, just say you know just by just mashing ideas together randomly, yeah, yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. would end up being horrible. Um, but no, they were all fairly tasteful, and uh, I mean some of them weren't very funny, but I don't really mind that so long no. as none of them were, you know, actively vile. <laughs> that could be a, a separate book in itself. Um, but yeah, you end up you end up in the cards against humanity thing where a lot of people won't thank you for it. Um, no matter yeah how dark the humour um, might appeal to to some people. <laughs> yeah, I've got a real I've got a real thing about never upsetting people with jokes, like or because you know there's 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 probably plenty of jokes I could think of that wouldn't be outright you know like socially vile. Yeah. but wouldn't be right either. And I just think it's just easy enough just to forget them and move on to things that are like definitely okay. So I think, yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly the sort of genre you mean. It was, you know, the cards against humanity thing where they sort yeah. of get away with it, but yeah. it's just easy not to make jokes like that, man. So yeah, I think I managed to avoid it. Uh, I think I managed to avoid it in a thousand. And no, actually, well, I, I, I did one called hobo cop that was maybe a bit demeaning to the homeless, but uh, I still hand <laughs> up and say I regret it. But again, it sounds exactly like uh, there are games totally along those lines, which kind of uh, existed in the 80s anyway. Tasteless kind of uh, childish humour kind of, you know, kind of thing. Oh. So so as a, as a satire on the industry, it works anyway. Well, there was some monstrous stuff. Um, like, have you read about, well, you'll know about Custer's Revenge? Oh, uh, my God, yes, absolutely. Yeah, infamous, notorious, terrible thing, yeah. It was interesting. I mean, I didn't realise how much games like that actually crushed the market in 83. Um, I mean, that basically, you know, knocked the bottom out of Atari for a while. And, of course, you've got the famous E.T. and the landfill. And mm-hmm. um, I nodded to it in the book. There was a game um, which actually seems like it might be quite shocking uh, called Captured by the Sex Orc, uh, which is a an erotic text adventure. But the, the truth of it is, when you're captured by the Sex Orc, he reveals... It's actually just a nickname. He's very, very anxious about sex and really, really just doesn't want to talk about bodily issues at all. And so the game really is about rehabilitating the sex orc and stopping his minions, uh, calling him something they know is so cruelly inappropriate. But there we are. That was that was my nod to the sort of horrific exploitation games of the 80s. That could actually help some you know, young and secure people through those difficult years as well. 
Yeah, I wouldn't actually. If if I had more time, I'd like to make Captured by the Sex Orc as a text adventure. It'd be good fun. <laughs> you have trouble getting people uh, to play a text adventure now. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be a very difficult <laughs> parser for a game like that uh, to, to manifest it successfully. Uh, Nate, so, uh, well, thank you for joining me. Um, the, the the way we should uh, wrap things up is for you to tell us things like where our listeners can find you on the internet, where the book will be available from, uh, how much it costs, if you know that, when it's out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. Uh, thanks. Well, thanks so much for having me on and definitely thanks for letting me do a little plug now. Um, so you can, I'd advise you to find me on Twitter where I'm at Frog Croakley. So Frog and croak lee like the noise croak l-e-y um and the book is the 100 best video games that never existed and that's out uh september the the 8th i think you can get that uh, obviously on online um and it's going to be in waterstones uh, and and other rep- reputable booksellers uh Super. i think it costs about 13 quid i've also got um my latest uh sci-fi book uh-huh. is out uh, this month which is the death and life of schneider rack and that's a a weird sort of marxist diesel punk zombie wailing story uh but let's chat for another time so yeah that's what i'm doing at the moment fantastic well good luck with it all can't wait to read the the finished article uh and yeah well hopefully we'll speak to you again for volume two and in the meantime as i say i'll hook you up with the playwright guys and we'll see if we can make that happen as well that would be a pleasure. Leon, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, hopefully talk to you next year, man. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> <laughs>